Hello and welcome to the C21 podcast. My name's Jonathan Webdale. We hope you're safe and well wherever you may be. Today we hear from Banerjee's Lucas Green about a new wave of TV reboots that will see shows including Big Brother and Gladiators return to UK TV screens. YouTuber Joe Sugg discusses his BBC Studios-backed unscripted startup Final Straw Productions and Goldwaller's Faraz Osman speaks about the challenges facing UK indies as the prospect of Channel 4 privatisation looms. A swathe of big-name entertainment formats are returning to TV screens in the UK, with the recent news that ITV is reviving Big Brother, while the BBC is bringing back Survivor and Gladiators. The first two of these hit formats come from European production giant Banerjee and global head of content operations Lucas Green spoke to Nico Franks at the recent Edinburgh Television Festival prior to the Survivor deal being announced about TV's penchant for returning to classic IP, responding to criticism from Channel 4 content chief Ian Katz that such moves are depressing and he also addressed the proposed privatisation of the public service broadcaster. So we're back in person at Edinburgh. There's been a lot of talk in a lot of the sessions with the commissioners about reboots. And that top is a topic that never seems to go away. Uh, but for some reason this year, it's you know particularly pertinent with uh, the likes of Big Brother and also shows like Gladiators coming back. And some of the commissioners have had different things to say about the, the value of reboots, depending on, on who they are. I think Ian Katz was fairly outspoken, criticizing them whereas Charlotte Moore at the BBC was backing them. From your perspective, you know, Banerjee has such a big library to tap into. Do you, do you feel like, yeah, the interest in reboots is a, is a positive thing? Oh, look, well, I think first important to say how amazing it is to be back here in person in Edinburgh and great that there are these lots of lively debates going on. And yes, of course, uh, reboots are a hot topic, and I think with good reason, because, um, uh, you know, for the positive side of the conversation is that these are great formats which work, and I think they de they've delivered numbers. Uh, Gladiators, Big Brother, these are all shows with, which have had huge success in the past and have done a brilliant job for the channels and the clients who've commissioned them at the time. And I think important to position Big Brother uh, in the context of its new home, which is that if it had been going back to Channel 4, then granted, People might have argued that that's not what Channel 4's remit is at this moment in time. 20 years ago, it did a brilliant job for Channel 4 uh, around the launch of E4, um, and it provided a huge amount of content at a great price and, did it, and brought in huge, uh, valuable audience to Channel 4. And hopefully, it's going to do exactly the same role for ITV2 and ITVX. So I think you've got to look at the context of its new home. And also, let's wait and see what the shows are like, because w we're very keen to make sure that when they come back, that they are rebooted. This is not a repeat we're talking about. This is a reboot. So it's going to come back fresh. It's going to come back authentic. And of course, it's going to be led by Natal Kazanak and her team, who's a brilliant showrunner and is incredibly creative powerhouse who knows that audience very well, knows ITV2 very well, knows reality brilliantly. And we're all very excited to see what it's like. And I'm sure um, Gladiators will be just the same. You know, it's not going to be the same cast with the same people in the same games. Hopefully it'll be fresh for its new home and its new audience. And there's a whole generation of uh, families who've never seen gladiators in this country and also um, uh, 16 to 24s who probably haven't really seen very much of Big Brother and certainly not that authentic version of Big Brother that we all fell in love with 20 years ago. And that's the version that Talca's going to produce. So um, I think uh, it is a healthy debate. 
Um, I think, you know, you look at Channel 4 and I, I, I wonder whether Ian Catswords are slightly taken out of context because there are quite a few reboots that he's also doing. Um, and I think that the words of um, the team at Netflix was also pretty pertinent, which is we're always looking at reboots when they're done in the right way. You know, you reinvent them and you bring them back and you do something fresh, whether it's the host, whether it's the tone. Um, absolutely, there, there is room for, for great ideas. You can't uninvent a great idea, especially ones with the, with the track records of those ones we're talking about. I thought it was interesting hearing in the ITV session, the execs there talking about how ITVX is going to allow them to go, to go more niche and more edgy. Whereas Netflix were saying they actually want to go broader, less niche, less edgy. So do you see, you know, in a few years from now, Netflix and ITV, especially ITVX, perhaps being not too dissimilar? I think those streaming audiences are all looking for quite a similar demographic. People who, who binge content in that way are, are prepared to pay a subscription. So, yeah, I can see them converging. It's interesting that actually at the moment, I'd say that Channel 4 and Netflix have got quite similar audiences, I would say. And I think some of their commissions in Unscripted feel quite similar. So you look at... Um, Edge of Paradise, you look at Rise and Fall, not a lot of difference between them. And I think that's because they're, they're tapping into similar casting pools. And uh, of course, you know, the context, the reason why is cost of living crisis is there, is there a way of taking those subjects that we're all talking about and putting a, uh, doing an entertainment spin on them. So absolutely, um, you can see that uh, there are certain trends out there in the market. And there's a whole community of people coming up with ideas to try and hit those briefs. And among the other debates going on, although it doesn't really feel like a debate because much of the TV industry is, seems to be agreed on the fact that privatisation for, for Channel 4 isn't a good thing. From your, your chats here, how do you feel the industry is feeling about that and obviously all the uncertainty around it? I think the industry feels quite upbeat this week. I think people are in a good mood to be here and to see people that they've not seen in this environment for a few years doing it in person. It, there's, a, there's a buzz about the place. Um, I think it's great. There's been some great sessions and I think uh, the streamers are now here in full force. I think the last time we were here in Edinburgh um, in person, Netflix didn't even have a session. They might have only had one or two commissioners here now it feels like they really are up and running in the UK and they are commissioning local for local content so I think um, the glass is very much half full now rather than half empty and I think there are opportunities and of course we look at those streamer opportunities and we have to weigh up of course the whole rights conversation and I think what's really important to us is the retention of our IP and, um, you know, we've got to have the right ideas for the right platforms. Of course, I think they're all different. The days of just taking uh, one brilliant idea and repitching it in lots of different ways, to lots of different clients are over. They have to have bespoke development and they have to have their own bespoke ideas. But I do think that um, one of our considerations is when we're thinking about who to develop for and where to take it is what's that rights conversation going to look like? Because, you know, we're an IP company. We're based on great IP and great people. So we want to make sure that the... Um, the rights position is, is the good one for us. And Channel 4 remaining independent plays into that because obviously it's the foundation of the, the indie scene in the UK. Absolutely, we're behind the campaign for that uh, independence of Channel 4. It's a hotbed for creativity, new shows that we, you know, we've launched. And even over the last few years, there's a lot of uh, uh, IP which is new to the UK from the bridge uh, coming through. And, and it, it's still the place where you can take the most risk in the UK. And the rest of the world looks to the UK for um, those new ideas and the new formats and the new turns of the dial. And I think 
uh, a privatised Channel 4 would be a much weaker place, not just for Banerjee in the UK, but the TV industry globally. It's good for us, it's good for the indie sector, it's good for ideas, it's good for the, the cultural, creative um, environment. They're a really important client for us and we want to make sure that they are still there and independent. And, you know, we hope that um, uh, that will continue for many years to come. Any other kind of talking points that have been happening here in Edinburgh that perhaps you didn't expect before you came? Two of the two of the topics that really stood out for me have been duty of care and how one of the things that Ian Katz said that I did agree with was that we need to extend duty of care to uh, off-screen staff as much as contributors on screen. It's It's been happening, but uh, there was a, a fact quoted that the TV industry has comparatively uh, bad mental health disproportionate to the rest of other uh, compared to other industries and I think in a vicious circle kind of way the pressure on productions has exacerbated that and I think one of the things we've got to get right is how the duty of care doesn't become an, an even greater burden and pressure on the people who are making the shows that of course we've got to get it right and we have to have those measures in place but you don't want that to be a stick to beat teams with when something goes wrong you've got to find that balance between accountability and putting the right measures in but making people feel even more anxious on both sides of the camera so whether that's having better guidelines protocols systems insurances in place to make sure that all of our staff feel supported and a happy place to make sure that they are making safe productions they're not having to cut corners um, that would result in risk so i think Duty of care is absolutely now, you know, right at the top of the agenda. Of course, Big Brother will have, you know, uh, all of the best processes in place, all of the learnings we've had from around the world to make sure that that absolutely meets uh, the standards that ITV and, and we would expect as a company. I'd say the second trend that I've noticed at this festival is the amount of brilliant young talent on show. And I went to one of the uh, the live pitches earlier and without exception, all Four or five of the teams of three, you know, young producers that were pitching were brilliant. And their presentation skills were great and their graphic skills were great and the ideas were good. And I think that's really encouraging. And it was diverse talent and I think it was um, really eclectic ideas. And that's something that at we really want to support as well. You know, we've, we've got to find that new generation of producers. And I think in competition with other forms of media, the sparkle of working in television has maybe lost its shine a bit since um, uh, a lot of these big shows were born, you know, 10, 15 years ago. And there are maybe other more fashionable jobs that that generation of creatives want to work in. And I think we need to remind those best creative brains that a, a career in content, um, rather than maybe a career in television, is absolutely a rewarding one and an enjoyable one. And I think it brings us back to why it's uh, a really fun festival to be at and people are in a good mood because people like to see each other again and I think you've, we've got to put the fun back into the industry that we work in if we want to attract creative people and it's been really encouraging to see uh, a new generation of talent here at Edinburgh and coming up with those ideas so it's uh, positive signs for the future. And just finally to what extent is the cost of living crisis and the predicted recession um, markets such as the UK are heading for having an impact both on the kind of budgets of your shows, but also the, the premises of your shows? I think it will impact on the budgets. I think it will impact on advertising spend. So I think we've got to be smart about the way that we structure shows. And again, 
look, one of the huge advantages of a, of a big format like Big Brother is its returnability and its volume. You know, look at shows like MasterChef that we produce great volume, you know, produced at a great price point. So I think the scale and the volume is, is really important to get right when budgets are under pressure. But I'd say the, the premises of the shows, I think that if you're doing factual, of course, you need to reflect, you know, hold up a mirror to society and reflect the topics that people are concerned about, but do it in a smart way and weave that into the, the tone of the shows rather than make it just a subject matter for everything. We saw that in COVID. In the, in the very early weeks of COVID, everybody was pitching shows about being stuck at home and doing interview shows in your garage because it felt like that's what we should all be talking about. But actually, very quickly, audiences grew sick of that because they, they felt bad enough being stuck at home. They didn't want to watch celebrities stuck at home going mirroring their experience. And I think warm, feel-good escapism is what people then wanted in COVID. And I think when you can't afford to go on holiday, perhaps, and you're struggling to meet your bills, um, you know, some escape from the pressure of that daily routine is what you want when you put your feet up at the end of a hard day to try and transport you to a, a sunny location somewhere and actually, you know, in, in, see some enjoyment and some sunshine to um, have a little bit of escapism. British YouTuber Joe Sugg has millions of followers online and in recent years has increasingly been making the crossover to TV. First with comedy travelogue Joe and Casper Hit the Road, then making a splash in Saturday primetime as part of BBC's celebrity talent show Strictly Come Dancing. Last month, Sugg secured backing from BBC Studios for the launch of his own unscripted venture, with development exec Satcha Grimstitch also joining to establish Final Straw Productions. The pair was among those at the recent Edinburgh Television Festival and spoke there to Nico Franks about their plans and the dance that continues to happen between the online world and traditional TV. Hello, I'm Joe Sugg and I am the creative lead of Final Straw Productions. Hello, I'm Sasha Grimsich and I'm the development exec for Final Straw Productions. So Final Straw Productions recently announced um, with backing from BBC Studios and Sasha, that's where you've come from. What are the ambitions of the production company? Well. Um, ultimately, it's to make innovative content, and uh, and by that I mean, I mean, I, my my background is I've I've sort of been at the sort of forefront of the YouTube sort of movement. This is going back ten years ago now, which seems like a lifetime ago. Um, but I sort of yeah gr grew up mainly online. Um, so for me, it's like I've, I've learned so much about the digital space and things like that. And then um, I had more recently, I had uh, a chance of sort of being in more traditional television. Um, through Strictly Come Dancing, and I've always been really interested in in formats and the stuff that I've applied to my own sort of YouTube content throughout the years, and and I've really been interested in sort of creating formats that can last and can go, you know, that can appeal to a wide audience across the world, and I, I was really interested in sort of the the television side of how shows are, are put together and that sort of whole process and what makes a successful television show. Um, so I think sort of combining those two things and obviously combining what Sasha knows about the traditional world as well and, and what I know about the digital world, sort of bringing that together um, to make things that can sort of span across all those different um, platforms. And we're here at the Edinburgh TV Festival and I was just in a session that was all about, you know, do we need commissioners? And it was a lot of talent both from the digital world and the traditional world. And they were talking about how sometimes they're kind of uneasy bedfellows. So what's the approach going to be? And because they are two very different mediums, broadly YouTube and TV. Yes, yeah, so, so I guess it's, it's um, uh, w the, the thing that was, that's always been so nice about sort of the digital space is throughout, throughout my career on there, it's 
in so fast paced. Like everything is very quick. You know, you you sort of you have the idea, um, you workshop it a little bit, you go out there, you film it, you edit it, you distribute it, you market it all yourself. And it, you can, so if you have an idea that comes in or something, you, you know, there's a trend going on, you can get on that and turn stuff around super quick. Um, whereas with with the tradition, what I've noticed from the traditional world is that obviously with with um, the whole process of going to a commissioner and stuff, it's a bit longer, which which is something that I've sort of learnt. Um, but it's still it's still a good process, a good learning process, and it is it's really interesting to sort of understand from a commissioner what sort of things they're looking for for certain time slots, for example, and things like that. So it, yeah, it works. It's it's been interesting. And Sasha, what's your approach? I think Joe nailed it really, and, I, and I'd add to it, there are very different worlds, but there's some like real commonalities, and mm. that is the audience, you know, and this is the audience and incredible content. Yeah, it's, it's slightly reshaped the different forms and then sort of different timelines, but at the heart of it is an idea that really connects deeply with its audience, and you know, it, one of Joe's superpowers is he's been connecting with audiences of millions for 10 years and he knows exactly how to speak to an audience to a broad audience and that's that's something that we really really want to bring in and you know how we leverage his enormous subscriber base and get them on board and get them involved and use it to sort of test stuff and come to commissioners with slightly different sort of data sets and all that kind of stuff feels like there's area there for us to be doing something different because we know we have to because you know the, the, the landscape is is pretty populated so we've got to come with innovation with something new and that's what and that's what we're going to be doing and there is a track record um, between you and BBC studios uh, and your fellow youtuber Casper you've done yeah. a couple of specials with them so what did you learn from that experience that you're going to bring into the future projects? Um, I mean, yeah, this is going back probably 2014, which is which was quite early on in our YouTube career. But um, BBC Studios, they they saw what we were doing and they thought this is really. They were quite forward thinking, I think, when they when they approached us to sort of work together. Um, and I think I was discussing this earlier with Sasha. Like, even though we're from the digital space, and I know a lot of other people in the digital space that are still very much interested in working in the traditional space as well because they do see it as such a big deal and, and I think there's a common sort of thought of like you know maybe digital people digital creators think we don't need you know we're the new thing we don't need traditional but I think is a common sort of um oh, what's the word? Yeah, yeah but but also like they you know I think they both really like each other mm. um and it and it does work work really well but yeah, I, I learned a lot from BBC Studios from from working on those those specials. Um, just the sort of behind it, like we were very like quite heavily involved in the production sort of process and like the after, like the sort of the editing process. We want because we came from the space of doing it all ourselves. We still had a very much like a, we want to be involved in every step of the way. So. It, uh, me and Casper were sat in the edit the whole time. We had lists and lists of notes that we'd sort of take to the editors because we still wanted to sort of, although we were sort of branching off into a new direction and more of a traditional sort of way of distributing the, 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 me the media we were making, we still wanted to sort of have it in our sort of style and still have, make sure it, it felt like it came, came from us. So even down to like picking what music was used and like the color grading even, we were involved in all those processes, which was long hours, but it was really interesting to sort of see that side of how things are made. And I think that's ultimately where the sort of, the interest to, to sort of go down that route um, and, and create a vehicle to make this kind of content started. Is the focus exclusively unscripted or 
do you have scripted ambitions? Because you've been pushing more into acting recently as well, is that yeah. right? Yeah, I mean, never say never. I think for now, um, we're sort of focused on um, sort of fact and and, and um, entertainment sort of formats um, for now. But but there's, it's definitely something that we'd love to look at in the future. I think, yeah, especially because of the, you know, I've, I have enjoyed those acting roles as well. So, so yeah, I would, I would never say never. I'd like to think that, you know, later on down the line, part of the plan is to to sort of start a, a, a scripted arm of the business. And to what extent is the YouTube kind of aesthetic changing? Because sometimes, in my mind, it's it's all about the kind of quick cuts, you know, speaking to camera. There's, you know, lots and lots of different aspects to it, but broadly those things. How much is that changing? And can we expect that kind of look on the TV shows that you might make? It'd be interesting because I think there's definitely, I, I think that it's hard to pick out specific examples, but I have seen in the past examples where you can almost see um, television shows sort of taking on some of that kind of characteristics that you you expect to find from from YouTube content. So I think there there has already been efforts made there to sort of test and trial out those kind of things. It, I guess it kind of depends on what the actual content is about. And I, I for me, I think vertical video, we're getting more and more used to watching vertical video, but obviously on a television, how does that how does that work? And I think that's something that will be looked at and there'll be, a, you know, I think there's plenty of sort of space there to, to figure out something that would work for, you know, because we are, even myself, like when you're sort of, you, we're taking in so much new information through watching things from our phone, because it's, it's like you watch one, for example, reels and YouTube shorts and stuff, you're, you're watching a piece of content straight onto another, and they're all so different as well, which is not what you'd get unless you're flicking through the channels on a television. So it's kind of trying to work out how that's, how it's gonna work is gonna be very interesting. Boring all the good bits, all the, all the amazing bits, just just the same way. Yeah. I think that you know, unscripted should be boring more. I think from scripted as well. Like you know, SAS is filmed so beautifully, and it's a, it's got a cinematic element to it that, that sort of sinks you into that world more than if it was if it was sort of you know done in the old way of just sort of you know putting cameras on it, straight on it. So uh, borrowing all the stuff, you know, Joe's been cutting his own stuff for ten years, and mm. all that stuff is so innovative and uh, stuff to play with. How are you finding the conference and, you know, being in this world of, of broadly TV? It's, it, do you know, it's really interesting. It's very different. I've, I, the, the sort of conference, this type of stuff I used to go to in the past was, I can compare it to things like um, VidCon, which is like a, you know, the, the sort of YouTube version of something like this. And uh, very different scenes there because, you know, then it was a lot of sort of screaming girls sort of chasing you around this this giant building. So it's very different now. And uh, it's a lot more calm here, a lot more, uh, but it's, it's so interesting. And I've already met so many, so many people um, in the industry that have, that have come up to me and thought he looks, he looks lost, bless him, and come and sort of introduce themselves. And so yeah, it's been really nice and just sort of going to all these different talks and, and things and, like, and panels and like, learning so much um, has been, been really, really cool. Mm -hmm. And is there a session that's kind of popped out so far? I think um, we were just in, we were just before we were doing this podcast. We um, went to go and watch the formats around the world talk, um, and that's uh, that's something that always really interests me is is seeing what people are making around the world, what's working for them in in those territories, and also seeing like how they've developed to go into other territories, but like rebranded and things like that. I, that kind of stuff really really interests me. We we're just talking about um, South Korea. Uh, and some of the shows they're making, and actually going back to your point about that sort of the style of show, the South Korean show, it, it looked like it's almost edited in this sort of like a, like it would be a YouTube video or an online video type way where they've got 
you know, exclamation marks popping around the screen and stuff and with sound effects. And it's all very, feels very sort of quick cut, kind of keeps your attention the whole way through. There's no like sort of, if there is moments where it breathes, that then there's a few moments in there, but a lot of it is that kind of like sort of quick, quick, fast paced stuff, which who knows, maybe we'll see more of that sort of spread to, over this way. And is the ambition to kind of have Final Straw become like a beacon for your fellow YouTubers who want to kind of be on, you know, the BBC, Channel 4, ITV and other broadcasters? And also, are there any projects that you can talk about at the moment? I mean, the, the door's always open for people that, that want to work. So I, th I think, you know, part of making Final Straw was to, to work on projects that would, that would be with me at the sort of forefront of that and on, on screen, but, but also just as important to make stuff that, you know, come up with great ideas, but thinking, you know, but this wouldn't fit me per se. So then finding the right person for that role. So it could be, you know, a really big established name in traditional um, media or up and coming sort of online talent that we think have got great potential and would love to work with, um, sort of get them in and have sessions where we sort of work on ideas and develop ideas with them. Um, that's, that's ultimately the goal. Um, yeah, and then in terms of like projects that we're working on, it's still very much in sort of like the early stages. So it's, um, so yeah, so we, we've got, but we've just ton, we've got a lot of ideas in our heads, but if we're just sort of in the process now of sort of selecting which ones we go in with with production and uh, with development, sorry, and, and then um, hopefully get some stuff out there soon. And Sasha, so you've moved from being in-house at BBC Studios to now being Final Straw. What's your take on I suppose the UK, you know, the health of the UK TV industry at the moment, because obviously there's some huge talking points about the BBC and its future funding model, the privatisation of Channel 4. And Joe, you might have an opinion on these things as well, but let's begin with you, Sasha. Well, it feels like, well, I mean, uh, TV is, you know, the only constant is change. And, and it feels, but it does feel like we're at the beginning of a new wave of change, which is why I think this is so interesting. Um, there's definitely a huge buzz around around the festival, maybe more than I felt in the last sort of seven eight years. Uh, um, and I think like what's interesting here is there are two worlds learning about each other, and it feels like the time is right. You know, when, when Joe did Strictly, that was a huge crossover moment, and I'm sure it wasn't just our development room, but every development room in the land had Joe on every treatment for that. We think we're smashing the two worlds together, but it feels like now worlds are learning about each other and also wanting to work with each other. Um, so I think it feels like we're in a renaissance and that's needed. There's a lot of sort of, you know, established brands coming back and established brands there and there's a good reason for that there's a good economic business model uh, and reason for that and the license fee is a huge challenge for the BBC and, and how to stay relevant and popular but at the same time be pushing boundaries and you know that's not that's not a simple thing to, to fix but at the heart of it all people are watching more content than ever before and that content is incredible and is taking us to places we have never been before and we're becoming more educated, more entertained, um, we're laughing more, we're crying. That, and that's, that's you know, essentially the bottom line, I think. So the future is, is bright. It's, it's unmapped, but you know, in development, that's what it is. Here's a blank piece of paper. What can you create? So, so I, I'm really excited and positive about it. And yeah. I think there's, there's some amazing people in the industry and, and having people like Joe come into to, and us going into his world is exactly what should be happening. I was saying it's like a, it's like a school dance, <laughs> and you've got you've got online one end of the room, then you know the traditional television the other side. They both want to dance with each other, but they're just shy, awkward <laughs> sort of teenagers. But you know they just got to get together and dance, and that's what we want to make happen. Mm -hmm. And it's yeah, obviously a big year, hundred years of the BBC. 
and obviously YouTube now is, you know, it's been around almost yeah. 20 years now, yeah. yeah. And obviously their funding models are completely different. But how do you think, you know, in terms of your audience, how do you think they view having to pay the license fee compared to being actually okay potentially with watching lots of ads and or and also you know sharing subscription streaming services yeah i mean it's, it's there's more i mean it feels like you know there's more stream streamers now than than ever before and it's and it's it's all i think um it's a tricky one to ask i can't really sort of guess what they would sort of say about it in a way i guess but um i mean there's there's they're, like Sasha was saying, there's so much, there's, it seems like there's more stuff out there than ever for people to consume. So it's, yeah, it's hard to sort of, I guess, hard to answer that that question in a way. Um, I mean, tricky. It, it, it feels like the, the, the BBC, I mean, I can only talk about from what from what we're doing here, are, are really trying to sort of look to the future and so, and solve solve that riddle. I mean, there's definitely, in my opinion, streamer fatigue um, and there's less sort of uh, platform loyalty um, but there is content loyalty, um, mm. and it feels like you know BBC and Talent Works that sort of set this up and, and are you know trying to grow creators and trying to bring worlds together. There are lots of people within inside the big organisations that are and smaller ones that are looking to what are the solutions to it all and how do we solve that? And that's interesting. So nobody nobody's resting. We all know what's coming. So how do we sort it out? And, and you know, it's a, it's a common goal for us because we all love. Yeah. creating, making, talking about, endlessly criticizing other people's and going, we could do that better. Yeah. And actually getting there and going, that's actually quite tricky. So, yeah. But Sasha's right in terms of like, yeah, they're, they're loyal to more to like the the content that's being made, I think. And that's when it goes to, you know, to the, to all these platforms and streamers and stuff to, to sort it, what I think is to sort of, in a way, get, you know, trends change throughout these. I've Even I've heard in the past, like people go like, oh, we're now sort of going across to this one because they've got so many good shows out at the moment. So like when I'm switching and going over here and, and it happens and I think that's what, when it puts it on them um, as these streamer companies, et cetera, to, to be like, right, okay, let's get some new stuff in. Let's, let's test new ideas rather than maybe play it safe and go with the same stuff. Let's, let's try new things. So I, think, I think we're at a time where people are craving new, exciting things that haven't, haven't been done before. It's not like a sort of a copy of, of this thing, very much like new, innovative, sort of fresh shows. Faraz Osman is Managing Director and Head of Creative at Goldwaller, a UK independent producer he founded in 2018 to work on innovative formats for broadcasters, brands and content platforms targeted at younger viewers. The company's credits include What's On Your Head for CBeebies, My Mates Are Muslim for BBC Three and Yo! MTV Raps and Faraz is also Chair of the BAFTA Children's and Young Adults Committee. He spoke to Nico Franks about the challenges facing UK indies as the prospect of Channel 4 privatisation looms, plus the vital role public broadcasters retain amid debate about the BBC's independence. Hello, I am Faraz Osman. I am the Managing Director of Indie Goldwaller. So you expertly moderated a panel all about the kind of existential crisis that's facing the UK indie sector at the moment. Very difficult subject, you know, to kind of cover. It goes way back to the 80s, in terms of trade, what is an indie, the size, uh, who owns them. But obviously in 2022, there's lots of kind of modern questions about all around streaming and, and issues like that. What were kind of the main takeaways, do you think, for the audience from the session? I think, I think you're absolutely right. I, I was 
I've been thinking about how we've actually come back to this festival after being away for a while, and, and things have actually bizarrely settled down slightly, not just because we're back, but also, you know, this festival itself has been evolving for quite a while around um, what is a streamer and, you know, what's going on with social content and digital content, as well as what's happening in linear television. We feel like we're actually in a bit of a better place now where people are navigating it with a bit more confidence. But saying that, there are new challenges. One of the big challenges that we spoke about on the panel that we just did now was around distribution. And, you know, traditionally, indies in the UK have, have been getting commissions and with finished tape, they go to a distributor and then that gets distributed um, you know, around the world, hopefully, if, if we're successful. And, and your audience will know lots about that. Um, but we are seeing more and more of an emphasis of channels asking us to go and find deficit funding and to, to get our programmes commissioned which has led to a kind of subtly different but more challenging business model where indies are basically chasing cash flow all the time and not seeing the same levels of return on, on investment um, in the back end and in the net receipts from doing things as part of distribution. So that's kind of one of the big challenges that came out of there. But I think actually, and, and this feels kind of fairly obvious to say now that we're back all in person, but the thing that we kept reminding ourselves about is that really... You know, commissions and ideas and program making all comes through creative and collaborative conversations. And, you know, it's great that Zoom exists. It great, it's great that we can, you know, go back to sending emails and picking up the phone, etc. But nothing really beats meeting somebody, looking them in the eye and saying, right, what can we create together? What schools have, you, have we got as an indie? What do you want as a commissioner? How can we help each other out in, in kind of letting both them as broadcast brands and us as indies kind of thrive and, and make new content together. And in terms of the commissioning, commissioning sessions here, it feels like there's almost a 50-50 balance between your traditional broadcasters like the BBC, ITV, and your streamers, Netflix, Amazon, Disney+, Snap. But obviously on the streaming model, they're taking all the rights. They're, generally, they're taking all the rights. But they're also always bigging up the UK, how vibrant the UK creative sector is. But that's built on the retain, retaining of rights. So do you think there's a bit of kind of, are the streamers not being completely honest with themselves about what their business model means for the UK industry? I, I think, well, firstly, I would say that I, I reckon that everyone considers themselves a streamer now. I don't think anybody wants to call themselves a broadcaster anymore. It feels quite old fashioned. You know, Charlotte from BBC was talking about how it's all I play first and, you know, all four has become such a big part of the Channel 4 strategy. ITV have just launched ITVX. They all see themselves as streamers now because actually that's kind of what the audience wants. You know, you could argue that that's just a technological point of view, but, but really it does impact the sort of ideas that we are developing for those partners um, because they're audiences are watching things in different ways and they're expecting premium content or they're expecting lots of volume and, and that has subtly changed the sort of ideas that are being developed and, and the things that are being won and commissioned. I, I do think that it's a good thing that we are now seeing regular attendance from Netflix and Amazon and the like because for a while there was a bit of a kind of buzz, are they ever going to turn up? Are we ever going to see from them? Do we know what their slate is? Do we know what they're looking for? It all felt like it was a secret. We didn't know what was happening. Now it feels like everyone is being a bit more open and vocal and are coming to this conference to look for British suppliers. And they have commissioners in this country as well. Now all of those things have happened pretty much during the pandemic. You know, offices have been opened up or virtual offices have been opened up. But people are now in the UK. We have got email addresses that end in Netflix.com or AmazonStudios.com. And, and that means that we can have those conversations. I think that the challenge is now, we have to be a bit more, we have to put this box clever, right? Do we send an idea to a streamer knowing that we'll lose the rights, but it could give us something that works, um, you know, from a, from a cash flow point of view? Or, or do we look to work with a traditional broadcaster slash UK partner 
that allow us to retain some of those rights and, and we can find distribution elsewhere. I think the, the truth is, is that you start with the idea and then you look at it and kind of go, I'm really passionate about this. Where does this work? Both from a business point of view and from a creative point of view. And my general view is the more different models and partners that are out there, the more chance that small indies like me have got as an opportunity to, to get ideas away and hopefully both make some content and, and if we're lucky, make some money. Who knows? We'll see what happens. And how much did Channel 4 come up in the session? Um, because obviously they're responsible in a lot of ways for the indie, uh, the health of the indie sector in the UK and the, and the privatisation that's looming over them threatens that. Well, I mean, so we had Rebecca Thompson, who's head of indie relations, on the panel, and and that job in itself is a fairly new role, and was actually born out of some frustration that indies had working with Channel Four. And there's, you know, it has a long storied issue with um, the relationship between the indie market and uh, and and them as a as a as a broadcaster. I I think that you know it's two tiered. One, there have been some challenges. There's no doubt about that. But also because it's Channel Four and because we have a generation of producers that have grown up seeing Channel Four, seeing you know, and wanting to kind of be part of it or see it succeed, we almost kind of have more emotional attachment to it as a result. Um, but the privatisation conversation, bizarrely, hasn't come up that much. I think across the whole festival, because it feels like. There's nothing that we can do about it now. The wheels are in motion. And really, the only thing that will stop it now is if this government have got time to make it happen before we get to a general election. So it's kind of a, like, a time perspective. The, the sense is, and I, you know, this is just a hunch from where I am, the sense is, is that I thought coming here, we would get a bit of an idea as to kind of who is actually in the market to buy the channel. And there's no one, really, that's put their head above the parapet and said, yes, we are a potential, a potential buyer of Channel 4, and we're seeing how it works. So I think for them as a channel, it's business as usual. And as a result, for us as indies, it's, I guess, business as usual. But there is this kind of like looming threat of... of someone coming in, swooping in, buying a channel and ending up like kind of stopping anybody that's got relationships with that channel winning work with them anyway. But to, to my earlier point, the reality is, is that there are a lot of other partners here and I think that the most savvy producers are recognising that you can't just have one relationship with one broadcaster or even one commissioner. You do need to spread your bets across lots of different streamers and brands and channels, PSBs and private companies um, in the hope that you'll never be in a situation where you rely on one thing and, and that's the end of it. Because let's be honest, we've seen a lot of streamers who kind of launched with kind of big bangs and aplomb and, and actually they've disappeared just as quickly. So there's risk across the whole industry and you just got to kind of find the right opportunities that will work for you as a company um, and, and hope that the whole of the industry thrives as a result. You produce a mix of content for lots of different audiences, some of them quite young. The really young end doesn't really come up in conversations at Edinburgh, I find. Yeah, it, that's true. And I, I think that's a bit of a shame. So, so I have a couple of hats on. I'm also the chair of the uh, Children's and Young People Committee at BAFTA. Um, and, you know, I really believe quite passionately that, like, you know, we have a responsibility as producers to create content that is both reflective of young, diverse audiences in the UK and, and across the world, but it also demonstrates the usefulness and power of television. You know, we are creating stuff that has a purpose um, for younger audiences and, and, and older audiences as well. And, you know, I've always would like to see more conversations have around what factual looks like for children, for instance, or, you know, the fact that my belief 
is that a lot of streamers are going to start looking towards family content to stop the churn of, um, of subscriber numbers. And it'll be good if we can have more of that sort of conversation here. Um, but, you know, we have Children's Media Conference, which I kind of came back from a couple of weeks ago, and that was a really lively discussion. There's been a lot of change at BBC Children's, um, and we're starting to see that strategy uh, come to light and, 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 and really start reshaping what children's going to look like, both, as I say, in the international streaming market and, and both here at BBC Children's, alongside things like the Young Audience Content Fund going away and what impact that might have. So that, that doesn't really kind of trickle down to, or trickle up, I don't know, up or down, who knows, but it doesn't really end up having the same sort of conversations here. But I do think that I speak to a lot of producers around here and they are seeing that children's content is a really strong part of their portfolio. And really, a lot of people are quite passionate about kids' content because it's a lot of fun to make um, and it makes you feel kind of like warm and fuzzy inside when you get to make it because you're, like, you're doing good by the kids. So, you know, it is a thing that a lot of producers here are doing. Um, Charlotte's, from, again, from the BBC, has taken children in as part of her, her remit and her brief. Um, but there is a lot to chat about here and, and the reality is, is it means that some things and some genres just don't get as much attention as others. And what have been some of the other talking points you've found? Well, I mean, I think that there's been a lot of chat about reboots, which I think is, you know, that has been happening for a while. But, you know, with the return of Gladiators, you know, Big Brother is coming back. Uh, there's, there's chat across the board about how we can reboot brands for nostalgia value. And is that a good thing or is that a bad thing? I think a lot of it is to do with the fact that, you know, a lot of audiences come to a thing based around recognizing a logo or recognizing a piece of talent or recognizing a particular storyline and that's just the art of kind of commissioning and scheduling and trying to do whatever you can to bring an audience to something and get them either entertained or informed and uh, and, and reboots is part of that it is a little bit frustrating for companies like mine that like are new and therefore don't have that back catalog in the same way that these big indies do because we are always kind of flying the flag of saying hey create some new IP with us in the hope that like Let's be honest, 30 years' time, someone will want to reboot one of our shows and we're still kind of making money out of it. So it's a nice position for those legacy, legacy indies and producers to be in. Um, but I do think that like, people are starting to get a little bit clued up to it and say, well, look, you know, we need to do a bit more to kind of make sure that content can be as innovative and fresh as possible. So reboots have going to be a big part of, of that conversation. There's also lots of chat around public service broadcasting and you know the value of it and what we need to do to protect it and includes Emily Maitlis's McTaggart from last night um, where she talks about impartiality we had the debate that was on the first sessions here at the festival um, and I do actually think that there's a renewed vigour around the importance of public service broadcasting and how it doesn't matter where you're from or what you do or the sort of programming you make we've all got a bit of a responsibility to protect it because it's actually one of the most valuable things that we have as British broadcasters and producers. And what were some of your other takeaways from the McTaggart lecture? So I think that the McTaggart was quite interesting because it was actually felt like a lecture about journalism. Um, and a lot of people here don't necessarily feel like they're journalists. They feel like they're program makers. Um, but I think that the, the choice of Emily was, was quite compelling in this time and moment that we're in because obviously there's the whole situation of, uh, of politics being crazy here in the UK right now and not, not knowing where it's going to go and obviously you know the parallels that can be drawn in what's going on in America right now as well as other parts of the world um, and, and the relationship between the state and now the public and the media and, and what we can do to make sure that 
we continue to be as robust and uh, and trusted by audiences as possible. So that was a really fascinating part of this debate because I don't think that's just news that's doing that. I think it is content across the board that needs to play into that. And then the other thing is, is that like my what I think is find quite interesting about Emily's particular moment is that she is moving from a public service broadcaster to a private company and her ability to now talk a bit more freely on what it's like working at a public service broadcaster I think was quite eye-opening just not not just to the people that are here but kind of the audience are a bit further away and and I think that it's been quite fascinating to hear how she was in the room when the Trump election happened and when the Brexit vote came through and when the, the, uh, the, the Boris Johnson election happened and seeing the prorogation of Parliament and seeing all of the nonsense that's been happening in the last six months around the new leadership election and having somebody that's, you know, who gets texts from 10 Downing Street or kind of gets emails from, um, from the state and how it's reacted to within the building is genuinely fascinating and I think really demonstrates the power that we still have as as television and the fact that like actually it's us that really does shape the national conversation and that's a responsibility that we all have so kind of yeah the power of the individual to influence things which sometimes doesn't feel the case what a lot of i felt her speech was about was how she kind of um got to a period, yeah. point of self-censorship and yeah the extent that actually our individual decision, decisions do have you know have knock-on consequences yeah I, th- I think i think that a lot of it particularly when you're working for a public service broadcaster like the bbc a lot of it is based around that idea that you're always going to get in trouble like no matter what you do there's trouble around the corner so you better behave yourself and you know is that a good starting point for creativity it, it could be for news i think it's important that you do constantly think about you know are you representing yourself or are you representing the audience like and and that is a real challenge i mean i don't work in journalism but i don't do news but i can see that it's a real genuine challenge and i think what i found most compelling is looking at twitter and low social media yesterday after the after the lecture went out and it started getting clipped up and you had everybody from all corners saying the BBC is a voice box of the socialist left and the BBC is a voice box of the Tory right and it's like, well, it can't be everything, it can't be all of those things but it's quite compelling about how things are picked and choosed and a narrative is created around it that actually a lot of the time we don't have control over and we just need to have a bit more confidence in making sure that, going, look, there are things that are going to be said about us and there's going to be criticism that's levelled about us and we need to have confidence in our convictions and the productions that we're doing to say that what we're making is true and genuine and authentic to what we believe and what we think is good and truthful and accurate because we are putting it out there for that level of debate and it needs to be held up to scrutiny. Faraz Osman speaking with Nico Franks. That's all for this episode, but you can hear more discussion by tuning in to our C21 FM internet radio station where you'll find new interviews airing from Monday. The podcast will be back next Friday. In the meantime, stay safe and up to date with all the latest international TV industry news and views by following C21 online, on mobile and social media. My name's Jonathan Webdale. Thanks for listening. (laughs) 